Hey, hey, Star Wars fans, it's Gary here from Spark of Rebellion, and we would love for you to listen to all of our brand new episodes when they land every single Saturday. Make sure you follow us on your podcast app of choice or pop over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash listen. If you like the show and you want to support us, you can do that via our Patreon. Just head over to sparkofrebellion.com forward slash Patreon and come and join our other patrons. And thank you so much for your continued support. Now, may the force be with you and on to this week's Spark of Rebellion. Hello there. Hello there and welcome to Spark of Rebellion and what an exciting episode we have for you. We unpack the return of a fan favourite Jedi or former Jedi, depending on who you talk to these days. We also unpack the mystery of Baby Yoda, aka the child, aka a brand new name. We unpack that and a myriad, a plethora, a world of Easter eggs brought to us by none other from the Star Wars maestro, Mr. Dave Filoni. That's right, we're digging into Chapter 13, Series 2, Episode 5 of The Mandalorian, entitled The Jedi. But before we get to that, welcome back. It's always a pleasure. It's always fun to chat to you every single week about Star Wars. And if you enjoy the show, hit us up on the socials. Let's talk about The Jedi. Let's talk about this chapter of The Mandalorian. Just search Sparker Rebellion on your favourite social network and hit us up. And if you want to get yourself one of the famous Spark Rebellion laptop decals, one of the famous stickers brought to you by none other than the team here at Spark Rebellion, you can do that over at patreon.com slash Rebellion. Come and join the show. Come and become one of our supporters and even get your chance to have your say on one of our famous random spotlights. Let's get... To the content, let's get to the Jedi, let's get to the Mandalorian. But before we do that, let me bring on the man who owns all of the Beskar, the Beskar collector, the man that keeps the people of Caladan in check. It is, of course, Mr. Gary Aylett. How you doing, dude? Morning, morning. Hey, dude. Hey, Star Wars fans. It's all good. Yep, I've got a pretty hefty supply of Beskar. Getting tired of lugging it over to the studio, to be honest. Um, yeah, I did offer it to Lucasfilm. Said you can buy it if you want. I've got no need for it. You don't do that anymore. But they were like, no. <laughs> no. We just want to keep it on, you know, loan, so whatever. I'm not going to argue with the powers that be. I don't want Kathleen Kennedy knocking on the door. I don't need all that. I've heard don't what she's like. Don't get Doomcock started. Ask your question, Kathleen. Who does your best guy? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly that. Yeah, I just don't want to get into all that, all right? Let's just take the best car. In fact, I might just donate it to Lucasfilm. Just have done with it. Keep the politics. Keep the best guy. I'm off. I'm off. Yeah. There's your bloody best guy. Do you own it? I'm out of here. Yeah, what have you been up this week, dude. What's been happening in the Star Wars world for Gary this week? What's been happening? So I made a huge, massive leap forward with my reading. I I I bought Alphabet Squadron on my Kindle, and that's as far as I got. <laughs> that's thought, huge, dude. What a monumental. <laughs> Seminal achievement. Right. Well done. Done. Did you download it as well, or is it just pretty, you know, I've ordered it, I'll, I'll get that later. No, no, I've downloaded it. I did it on the Kindle. Searched for it. Alphabet Squadron. There we go. Hit the purchase button, downloaded instantly. Got decent broadband. Came through. And uh, something, I, you, you know when you, you're in the middle of something, or you're about to start something, 
And then something else happens and you're like, right, I need to go and do that just quickly and I'll come back to this. But then you never do. It was like one of those things, like, right, downloaded it, going to start reading it immediately. And then something else happened, had to go and do something, and I just forgot. So that's my Star Wars week, yeah? Mm. Mm. Um, well, as you expected. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I did watch a, a, bit, a little bit of... Um, uh, one thing that you, uh, any of our long-time listeners will hear me mention a lot, and I will forever mention it, is the documentary, Empire of Dreams. I watched a bit of that, and there was a really cool scene with um, Bronze Sue, um, Empire Strikes Back at this point. And uh, it was really cool, the whole um, uh, scenes with, with Mark Hamill and Yoda on the set of Dagobah and all that stuff. And there was a really cool quote, and I quoted it out and I tagged... Uh, attacked Mark Hamlin and everything, and I was excited because I thought he's going to reply in a minute. It was a lovely quote that I put on there, a nice little picture and everything. I thought, give it three minutes. My mate Mark will reply to that, or at least give it a you know a like. Didn't do it. Oh, well, it was Thanksgiving. He was busy. He was busy. Yeah. There's no excuse, though. It is disrespectful, I admit. But when the guy's, uh, he's the joker dude, you don't want to be screwing with him. Otherwise, you're going to have a permanent smile. You don't want that. That's very true, man. That I like your true. sullen, moody look now and again. Mm. You can't muck about there. That's one of the rules. <laughs> sort of one of the rules. Different frogs, different times. <laughs> so, <laughs> Well, look, at least you uh, you bought Alphabet Squadron. But <clears throat> I do, I do get what you're saying. Uh, about the you know picking something up and then getting back to it because like I do that all the time. I'll, I'll I want to start something and Sam's like, oh you left your cup there. Yeah, I have. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then I have to move the cup and then it transcends into. Uh, see the bin's still inside because the main bin's outside, which is I think where that wants to be. And you laugh. Right. <laughs> okay, I'll do the bin. Then I'm gonna get back to Alphabet Squadron and then two hours pass. And you forget about it. You go to bed, read another book, start another book. Yeah, game over, dude. I get it. I get it completely. Exactly. I do get it. Um, yeah. But look, you know, it's 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 something to be something to be aspiring to. You get to pick up Alphabet Squadron over the next couple of days, and you get to dig into it. So maybe next week you'll have smashed a chapter or three, dude. I'm fingers crossed for you, man. Exactly. At least I've got a shortcut into it now. I've saved myself those 14 seconds because I've already gone and purchased it and downloaded it, so now I can go straight in. So every cloud and all that. So Exactly. What about you, mate? You done anything Star Warsy? No, not really. Um, I was kind of prepping for Mando, and then I got... Uh, I, I did actually kind of restart Jedi Fallen Order, because <clears throat> I kind of... I only got about three quarters of the way through that, so I figured, do you know what? I'm going to wrap up a few of these games. I'm going to start Jedi Fallen Order. So I'm going to try and smash out like an hour on that every couple of days or, you know, every few hours. Uh, Sorry, get a few hours every few days on that and just try and smash it out. Um, But I'm not as conscientious as you. Like, I'm not the Arkham Knight guy that goes around and finds all the Riddler trophies. Like, I'll find 90% of them and be like, ah, I can't be bothered with these. But you are like a deep dive, aren't you? You'll do everything on these games, dude. So, I, you know, I admire that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm playing through Assassin's Creed Origins at the moment. And I've put in 42 hours of play, and I think I'm about 60% of the way through the story because I just go off and do every side mission, like every little thing. Dude, it's a killer. It's these bloody game developers, the game studios, they get you. That's how they get you. 
Yeah. I bet you are. I bet GTA is like crack for you. Yeah, oh, mate, don't get me started on that. I think I've started GTA 5 over the past few years, like three times. And I've, I think I've only once gone through the story for the same reason. I've gone, on, <laughs> I've gone off and done all the side missions and everything. And then like 60 hours in, I'm like, oh, I can't be bothered anymore. Yeah. yeah, I read you. I read you on that, dude. Well, look, 13 hours in now to The Mandalorian, <laughs> and we finally got a bit of a Jedi payoff. Now, we knew it was coming. It's been there since in between season one and season two, the rumours of Rosario Dawson <clears throat> diving in and filling the shoes of former Padawan Ahsoka Tano, who, of course, is a huge fan favourite, but is yet to make an appearance in live action. And, dude, chapter 13 Season 2, Episode 5 of The Mandalorian, after much speculation and much chasing around the galaxy, the episode entitled The Jedi finally paid off that promise, or that tease. And of course, the episode was brought to us by none other than Dave Filoni. So this was a veritable law fest, and there's so much to dive into. But just a very quick recap before we get into this one, and before I get your first reaction on it. We find the Mandalorian headed to the city of Caladan on the planet Corvus, which wasn't a ship as we predicted last week. Uh, some people speculating those two things are actually a callback to Dune, uh, which is obviously very famously influenced by and influential of Star Wars. There's a couple of references in there if you look a bit deeper. So we find Mandalorian landing on the planet Corvus, which looks like a place straight out of the Cloverfield movies with the big beasts and the atmospheric lighting and the magistrate running the city of Caladan with an iron fist sucks in the Mandalorian in return for capturing Jedi or assumed Jedi Ahsoka Tano. And from there, the story progresses. And obviously, we're introduced to Ahsoka very, very early on. So before we get into the deep dive of all of that stuff, let's do what we usually do here, dude, after a quick summary First reaction, couple of sentences, first reaction, man. First reaction is, these are potentially troublesome times, but they are exciting times. I think it's like, and dude, like some of the things that we were talking about in the last couple of episodes, a couple of them have come to fruition. A couple of other things were like, whoa, what the, what the frick? So there's a, a really important name drop, which we'll get onto. Uh, and then like you said, we got, Ahsoka quite early on so like visually beautiful comp like just how it looks and some of the action sequences you'd never have thought that Filoni would have pulled those off so I think we're, we're not giving enough credit to some of these directors because last week Carl Weathers um, episode was brilliant you wouldn't have thought that he directed that same with Filoni you, you, you expect all this law stuff from Filoni and all that stuff but how this was directed was amazing um, so I think we've we've really jumped ahead with the story, which you called. I think you said that in the last half of the season, it's really going to ramp up from this Filoni episode, and it has done. So, yeah, there are a couple of negatives, which we'll get onto later. But overall, dude, this was a, this was the best one for me yet in the season. Yeah, I agree, dude. And I, I, what's fascinating, I think, is that. For me, it was it was the, the the episode that really felt like the most complete Star Wars, probably since the Force Awakens on on TV and movie. Um, actually, not true. Maybe since the end of the Clone Wars season seven, but it felt like the most well-rounded Star Wars overall. It it had everything Star Wars, 
that you can expect. And sure, the law stuff was in there that we'll get to, but it had everything that pulled in every piece of the puzzle. You know, not since Luke Skywalker was to, uh, Luke Skywalker Luke Skywalker mentioned the hubris of the Jedi and Darth Sidious playing them in the Last Jedi have we seen on film the fact that these modern things are related to those old things. And I thought that was just like that is what Star Wars needed was that kick in the arm where it became really cohesive and and it, I think it thrust the Mandalorian into being a sequel of everything. You know, is it a sequel to Rebels? Well, kind of. Is it a sequel to Clone Wars? Well, kind of. Is it a sequel to A New Hope? Well, kind of. To Rogue One? Well, kind of. You know, so it's it, it really is... Like, the story group here have just been fantastic on it. So, let's dig in, dude. So, we open up with... We open up with... Ahsoka just straight away in there. And I think this is what they did so wonderfully with Bo-Katan a couple of episodes ago. Like, there was no holding back. There was no saving it. It was like, we have decided this is the episode that you get Ahsoka, just like they did this is the episode where you get Bo-Katan. Let's lean into that and really give you the fan service. And you feel like saying, like, look, Kathleen and look, JJ, this is how you do fan service. You just do fan service, but you do it in a very well-written and well-structured way. Um so, dude, that initial scene where we see Ahsoka, I mean, so much to unpack from the lighting to the environment to the character design to the white lightsabers. Uh, but the first thing that I want to pick up on it is evoking, for me, really, the total inverse. And this has been going around a lot online, actually. The total inverse of the Rogue One Vader scene. It was, for me, the light side version of that, where you know those guys had no hope. They didn't have a chance. They were just being stalked and hunted like Batman. And it was just, it was game over from from the second the camera started rolling. Um, But dude, what an opening sequence when we're thinking we might get Ahsoka later and boom, there it is. Boom. Indeed, yeah. And it was like that bit in Rogue One, actually, the inverse of that. It felt very, because in that scene in Rogue One, it's not clean cut, is it? It's very like there's smoke everywhere it's like all you see is the glow of vader's lightsaber and stuff and uh yeah it's it's very similar to that this planet that they're on corvus it's like really misty and everything you just see those white lightsabers and stuff it's and like you said you just know that those dudes haven't got a chance it's like uh in a way it was very similar to the opening of the rise of skywalker you know when um what's his chops is on that planet and he's taking down those dudes. So they're like masked dudes, whatever, with rifles and stuff. And he takes them down in a similar fashion. It's a bit like that. Yeah, there that's were, true, actually. Yeah, there were shades of that in there. Uh, but dude, it was just, um, it was almost surreal to see Ahsoka in live action, you know? I, I just, stupidly, because um, I knew that I wasn't going to be watching this until last night. So I tried to stay off the socials yesterday, but stupidly I went onto our Spark of Rebellion uh, Twitter. Uh, those of you that don't follow us, by the way, <laughs> go over to, um, go and follow us on Twitter, rebellion underscore spark. Anyway, I went on there and I had a quick scroll through and as, uh, you know, as you would expect, there was a billion pictures of uh, Rosario, uh, Rosario Dawson as uh, Asako Tano. I was like, damn it. Like I wanted to get like the fresh reveal, but seeing her 
I, I don't know, it was just a surreal thing because we're so used to that that animated thing. And I can't remember over the years any films or TV series that have done that really well where they've taken an animated character. Obviously the best Dolph Lundgren as He-Man. Let's not, you know, come on. Without a doubt. The best example ever. <laughs> um, <but> it, <laughs> it was just really weird. So, But then... I don't know, after about five seconds, that feeling just went and it was like, okay, cool, this is Ahsoka, this is Ahsoka, this is really cool. Um, but dude, that opening scene, man. And uh, I think we spoke about this last week. We mentioned that it was probably going to be a bit of a build-up to seeing Ahsoka. The Mando would have to go to this planet, find somebody, you know, like the formula that's been so far, like find somebody they'll say, yeah, we can take you to this Jedi, this Ahsoka character, but you have to help us do this thing first. And then, you know, all that stuff. Uh, But Filoni was like, nah, nah. We told you she was going to be in it, and now she's going to be in it. So it was completely badass. And then just from there, from from that moment when she approaches the... Um, uh, the dude on the bridge um, with that that guy from Aliens, um, which I had no. Whoa, I, whoa, 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 whoa! Hold, hold on. That guy from Terminator, mate. <sighs> Sorry, Kyle. Sorry, man. Um, Jeez. J- we'll come on to this later, but I'm telling you, man, I didn't. I did not know that was him until like what? the last bit of the. You know when he gets shot at the end. I'm like. He was the only reason I thought Ahsoka might be screwed because I'm like this guy. If you get, do not give this guy a shotgun, <laughs> oh, mate. you are all screwed if he gets a shotgun. Oh mate, he is not. I just didn't recognise him at all. Like his voice has He's changed like loads. Older, I, do you know what? Um, I'm, how do you pronounce his surname as well? By the way, I think it's Bine. Bine is it? Okay. Uh, yeah, Michael Bine was a part of all of our childhoods. And I get that, right? I get that. But for some reason, I just didn't recognise him. And his voice has changed as he's got older as well. I don't know how yeah, old he is. Yeah, that is true, now. actually, dude. Yeah, I don't know how old he is now. But um, anyway, let's not get into that bit just yet. But yeah, that whole scene and when she approaches uh, the magistrate up on the up on the, the gantry, from that point on, it's just badass all the way through. But that initial setup was was great. And what did you think to how they've they've done the lightsabers in this then because they do look slightly differently to how they've done them in the films. Um, yeah. So like the tip of the lightsaber at the end goes to like tapers into like a bit of a point and there isn't as much of a, a glow that I found, even though they had those really cool scenes where you just see those in the mist and everything. Uh, they've changed them just very slightly. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting one that I noticed that as well. They, look, they do look, they, they do look more solid um, and I had two thoughts on that one. Like number one, from a budgeting perspective, it's probably just that. Um, and number two, if they want to write it into canon, you can assume that it's because Ahsoka's actually built those two lightsabers back up. You know, the two green ones that she originally had that that uh, that Anakin then gave her back at the end of Clone Wars. Um, I think did he give them the white sabers, or were they still green when he gave them back when she left them at the end of Clone Wars? Um, you know, there's a there's probably a canon reason that they could easily build into this, which is yeah, you know, I constructed this a little bit differently, but also you know the tip of it as well. They, it sort of evokes the dark saber as well, you know, which as we know in canon comes from the old Mandalorians. You know, the Mandalorian Jedi built that thing. Um, <clears throat> so there's a, there's a lot in there 
that they could just get away with and, and write that in as character and canon. But I think I think, dude, I think it's I think it's budget. You know, I think that's all it is. Um Yeah, problems. It, it was it was enough though. Like I think it was it, it was just about enough. You know, it was it was fine. It didn't certainly didn't pull me away from anything, which is a good thing. Indeedy, yes. Uh, it was just interesting, like from a geeky perspective, uh, somebody that like you know, as like you, we've seen lightsabers our entire life. You know, in the films and stuff like that, and um, yeah, and it almost this is nothing to do with the story, but. Seeing the the white lightsabers in live action, it it's not intentional, but it kind of um, sort of harks back to when the very first trailer for the for a New Hope went out before it was called a New Hope, when they were doing the rotoscoping effect on the lightsabers and they hadn't applied the colours yet. So when you saw Obi Wan and Vader having that scrap on the Death Star, um, the lightsabers were just white. <clears throat> they had no colours yet. So it, it brought back a feeling of that, which lends to what you were saying earlier, that this film overall was the most Star Wars-y, that felt the most rounded in terms of, of Star Wars. So it was an unintentional effect. And, you know, just having those... And I think we all go a bit nuts, don't we? For Because throughout the course of most of Star Wars, whenever you see Jedi, their lightsabers are blue or green, whatever. The Sith are always red. So when you see uh, the purple lightsaber from Windu, everyone's like, whoa, whoa, that's really cool. So now when you see like the the, the, the bit of backstory that explains Ahsoka um, and how she got those white uh, lightsabers is you know, kind of cool. But just when you see a lightsaber that's not red, green or red, red, green or blue. Yeah, it's just very cool, man. Love it. Yeah, it is, man. And I... So it's, I know we'll get onto this later, but it's interesting to see that backstory. You know, we've seen it in the Ahsoka book, we've seen it in Rebels, and a few other places about you know where she got them from. The Inquisitors bled the crystal and all that sort of stuff. And I, we'll get to a little bit more of that later because I, I think there's a little bit of a discussion on that one. Um, but I kind of just want to wrap up on some of the, the more general stuff before we get to the story. So things like everything, like from the, the lighting choices, you know that that felt it all felt throughout the entire episode it all felt very batman it all felt very cloverfield it all felt very what is out there what's going on um and i thought that was a really interesting choice because you had a lot of um a lot of imagery you know you had the japanese themes you had the uh, the kind of kurosawa themes that were running through it that that obviously lucas took a hell of a lot of inspiration from so even tiny easter eggs on that regard um, the samurai kind of themes, and then this kind of dark, silhouetted style um, lighting that you saw, not only in the landscape, but with Ahsoka when she was with the kid, um, and, a, and a number of other things that were in there. Like that, that entire filming choice and that entire thematic choice was very different to anything that we've seen so far in The Mandalorian. And it, it was. It was interesting, and maybe this is sort of a negative later on. Like, it at times it felt a little bit studio. It felt a little bit staged, which I think I've not quite felt that yet in the Mandalorian. So that's kind of a shame that the first time we see Ahsoka is just the first time. There's a mi- only the mildest sense of it being on a soundstage. Um, but what did you think of that kind of thematics? The Japanese style stuff, the Kurosawa stuff, the. Um, the um, the lighting choices, the thematic, the environmental choices. Like, how did that play for you? Uh, I loved it, mate. I absolutely loved the whole look and feel of this episode. And uh, I think, yeah, 
going back to what I said earlier, you should probably stop selling these guys short in terms of their directorial abilities because it's a real big contrast to last week. So normally when we have like the, the more action-based stuff going on, you would have thought that in the initial discussions before they even got round to production, you would have thought that, okay, we'll give we'll give that to the Fav. You know, the Favreau who's got the most experience with like the MCU stuff and all that, all the action-based thing. But um, it's just not the case. I mean, like, last week with Carl Weathers' episode, that was a huge contrast. That felt very, that didn't feel like it was set-based at all. Like that really felt like, yeah. I know they were on this, you know, very advanced soundstage called the Volume. We, you know, we we understand that, but it it's done so well that you would you'd be forgiven for thinking that they were out on location. It was it had that feel. So I know exactly what you mean. Where there were a few moments in this one where even though the look and feel was massively different, like last week's one was very, uh, and they've done this a lot even throughout the films where it's just when it's light time, it's light time, and it's daytime, and that's it. When it's night time, it's night, and that's that's it. Whereas this one, it just had a certain mood and feel to it. It almost felt like the story and the force that was around these characters and where they were was creating this atmosphere around everything. Um, so from a design, like a, a look and feel, it was just amazing. And Filoni, man, he's like in his head, he's probably thought, right, I'm going to do this badass scene. I'm going to sketch it out. And then to translate that to screen is like just amazing. But for me, the bits that felt most like a set was when Ahsoka managed to go through to the magistrate's sort of posh little housing area. Once once they'd gone through the, the town little village bit, that felt very much like a set. In the same way that, you know, in, uh, was it The Last Jedi or The Rise of Skywalker? This is terrible of me asking this question. Can't remember which one, but the scene where Ray <clears throat> and Kylo join forces and take out those Criterion, uh, the, the the Red Guards in um, yeah, last Snoke's Jedi, office. Huh? Last Jedi, wasn't it? Yeah, that Snoke's felt office. Snoke's office. Yeah, come <laughs> oh, in. his computer desk. Yeah, you're fired. Get out of my office. It's like that whole scene there. <laughs> that felt like a set to me. That it felt exactly like. It was great visually, don't get me wrong, but it felt like a set. So I know what you mean. That bit for me, that whole, and it did feel very Japanese-like, you know, with the little garden and the pond and stuff like that, and just how the, the architecture was. But so those bits aside, yeah, dude, I totally agree. It, it did feel a bit like a soundstage, a set at some points, but Filoni absolutely nailed <clears throat> the um, the emotion and the feel of that episode because let's not forget the force, like we were saying before, even though they've kind of signed it a little bit with the whole midichlorian thing, the force is still a very, you know, mystical thing. So the bit where she's talking with, with the child, which we'll get onto, I suppose. Um, yeah. I guess like from a, from a visual perspective, it would, it would be cool in my mind anyway. It's cool to think that the force is shrouded in mystery. So the whole area where they are visually, it's all shrouded in mist and shrouded in unknowns. There's some visual cues there. I reckon you nailed that, dude. I mean, you know, from a thematic perspective, I think Filoni, you know, probably thought about that, given that Ahsoka is the truest, outside of potentially a Qui-Gon Jinn, it's the tr Ahsoka is the truest version of what people would deem to be a grey Jedi at this point. Because, yeah. 
you know, and, and even Luke to a, to a degree in, in The Last Jedi, you know, he, even he was very much, I'm not a great Jedi, I'm just not anything to do with the Force. Um, and I think that's probably, now you've said it, a really strong choice. And I think you, you're right, probably thematically, that was a very purposeful thing. You know, she doesn't exist as a Jedi. She never calls herself a Jedi. She's just assumed by people that don't know Clone Wars and Rebels, which is fine, you know, it's great. If you've not seen Ahsoka before, this episode was fine. It was accessible as far as you know, she's just a Jedi. Nothing wrong with that. Um, but you're right, you know, for, for the people that know, I guess, that that is really representative of her being very much this great Jedi, you know. So I think that, yeah, I think you're right, man. I think that's a really strong thing. So a couple of things, we'll get onto the... Onto the, the, the the, uh, the main story points in a minute, because they're obviously going to be the big, big, big talking points. There are a couple of things that I just wanted to dig into. Uh, the supporting cast and the score before we get to everything else, because the rest of it is going to take up forever, because um, there's that much to dig into. But I just want to give a few shout-outs. Um, number one, like, the score, Ludwig Göransson, just, just absolutely nailed it. It was like he just took the last 50 years of Star Wars and just went, there you go, let's have it. You know, we had the binary <laughs> sunset, the Force theme in there, we had the Yoda theme, the Ahsoka theme, I think there were strains of Anakin's theme in there. Um, dude, and then like the Mandalorian theme as well, somehow able to fit over and under it, and even the folk version of the Mandalorian theme at the end that felt very much like, look, we've liberated this Robin Hood-style, Western-style village you know we're all very happy and jolly and it's the it's the the refrain at the end of the episode so let's do a nice little folk jig around the mandal like everything was just absolutely on point for the music dude and i'm sure you noticed it yeah 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 choked up a little bit man when i heard yoda's theme and it wasn't the full-on theme it was just a little bit of it that was like three notes man that's all it was like that little inflection of of yoda's theme but i was like oh my god this is like this is um because they've not really done that i mean there was one episode i i don't even know if it was this season might have been season one where we both picked up on it and we were like yeah that's like that's a theme from like john williams like main score but he did it a couple of times like you said in this one we had the sunset the binary sunset the force theme stuff and oh man there's nothing to say on it man The, the music was awesome in this one yeah, so, so good. And just to construct the Mandalorian theme and make it feel star, it feels a little bit rocky as well. A few people have mentioned that. I picked it up in season one, um, which I'm sure is not related to Carl Weathers being <laughs> in it, but it's got that, it's got that, that kind of marching kind of impending doom thing going on. Um, but, you know, the, when you look at like how Goranson structured this, even just the kind of the Mandalorian theme is very Star Wars, very Superman, very Indiana Jones. It's got that like that perfect fifth kind of jump um, that, da-da, you know, that's a if you turn that around, that's Star Wars. You know, it's, it's a very clear theme. And I think it makes you wonder, like, how much he planned that, knowing what else he may have to do in the future. Because if you set yourself up with that, you can start to pull everything else in that Williams put together because it's just so well structured around that main Star Wars score. Um, so just a fascinating thing. And then just a very quick note on the supporting cast because I thought the supporting cast was fantastic in this one. So let's just let's talk about Kyle Reese, 
All right, the guy has aged. Michael Bynes has aged. Um, how old is Michael Bynes? We should probably have a quick look um, because I should have done my research on this one. Um, Michael Bynes is now 64 years old, all right? Still smashing it. 64. Comes from the old school. You know, he's from the abyss. Tombstone aliens, remember that? Um, and he's Kyle bloody Reese, mate. He's Kyle Reese. This guy stopped a Terminator. Um the reason that I wanted to, men- wanted to mention him before we get on to the magistrate, who I thought was fascinating. Um, <clears throat> the Mandalorian picked up that this guy smells of being old military. And one thing that I noticed and clocked early on was he's wearing a very similar armour to what Obi-Wan and Anakin wore as generals in the Clone Wars. He was wearing that kind of little cropped armour top, the little shoulder guards, Um he feels and reeks of being an old, I want to say like an old Clone Wars era fighter, you know? And, and, and the, the timing stack up, the ages stack up. It'd have been probably early 20s at that point. Um, he's obviously not a clone, but he kind of smelt of that era, you know? A little bit. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, he, do, he does have that. And it's hard to pinpoint as well, isn't it? Because... Uh, like the the canon, I suppose, between certain things and the interconnectivity. <clears throat> Although he's fairly solid most of the time, it is a little bit malleable, I think is the best way to put it, with Star Wars. So it's it's really difficult to to pin down, first of all, what his deal is, why he is um, the magistrate's lieutenant in the first place. Because we have no backstory, obviously. But yeah, the look and feel, like the armour and stuff, especially the shoulder plates and things like that, it does feel like like Clone Wars-y era stuff. And based on his age as well, that would kind of make sense, I suppose. Um, but I'm disappointed in on, on two fronts with that. The first one is I'm disappointed in myself because I didn't recognise <laughs> I didn't recognise him until... It wasn't until that standoff at the end, that old classic Western um, standoff with him and the Mandalorian. I was like, I didn't even... It wasn't even like the penny drop, mate. It wasn't like, oh, that's him. It was like, is that him? I don't know. It doesn't sound like him. And I can't quite... I don't know. Is that him? I was like questioning myself for a few minutes. And then when it was him, I was like, oh, frick. Uh, But the other thing from a character point of view is, is, is this a bit of a waste of a character? You know, because the actor himself has got, you know, massive chops. It's a big, big dude, big star. So have they wasted it from that point of view? But then again, I don't know. But he was a fairly decent character. It was just, you just knew it, it, his fate was sealed. As soon as, um, as soon as the, uh, the Mando walks out into the street and they're sort of facing each other. And then you do have that very old classic Western thing where like people are popping outside their doors and he's like, no, go inside. It's big, big boy shit. You know, as soon as it's going to, so you knew his fate was sealed, but I can't say he was a great character or not because yeah, I don't know, just a bit of a, just wasn't in it very much. And when he was in it, he was okay. But I don't know. I'm 50, 50 on this one, mate. It's funny, isn't it? Cause it's like, I, and, and I, the next thing I wanted to get onto was the very Western themes. Cause I think he, he really played that. Like you're right. The standoffs, there were at least three, standoffs in this you know there was the beginning in fact there was four there was Ahsoka and Mando there was the beginning Mando and uh, the Magistrate then there was Mando and and Kyle Reese and then 
Ahsoka and the magistrate. Like there were, and like you said, it was all very Western. People peeking out from behind the doors, and you know, even the old magistrate of of Caladan, who got his, you know, he got his got his robes back later on at the end. You know, he was the one peeking out, and it was that liberation felt very gunslinger. It felt mm-hmm. very much Clint Eastwood. Very, you know, some of the inspiration from Star Wars again. You know, old space westerns. Um, and you're right, like the Michael Bine character is fascinating because they did choose someone, like you said, with amazing chops and, you know, someone that's a genre actor that is known for doing this sort of thing. Um, and you, the, the thing that made me think that, wow, what a waste of a character was when he said to Mando, doesn't really matter who wins, like you and me both know this is not worth dying for, like to paraphrase that. He was like, look, I'm for sale, dude. I'm like you. We're all good. And it was, yeah, and then he gets popped, and you knew he was going to get popped. The second he started putting his gun down, you're like, oh, come on, the old ankle gun. Come on, Kyle Reese. Get a shotgun. That's what I'm going to call him. And, yeah, I know what you're saying, man. It's like, and then on the flip side of that, you think, well, it's the Mandalorian. Like, they threw Timothy Oliphant in. And whilst we think we'll probably see him, we might not. We think we will, but we might not. And he's another big character, another big star. Um, And I think that's Star Wars. You can chuck... Um, Dominic Bornahan into the Rise of Skywalker, no one sees him again. But it's Dominic Bornahan from Lost. <laughs> you know, he's the guy that's from Lost, and he's done all sorts of things. And that's just what Star Wars can do. So it's it's a funny one, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Um, and that kind of brings me on to the Magistrate herself, Mo- um, Morgan Elspeth, um, which I want to spend a little bit of time on before we get to the stuff that will then take four hours to get through. Um, like, what a fascinating character. So this, I, I did a little bit of Googling on this. So this is Diana Lee Inosanto. And if you're into any kind of martial arts stuff, that name Inosanto will just ring huge bells. You know, we're talking goddaughter of Bruce Lee, but in particular, the daughter of the exceptionally famous Dan Inosanto, um, you know, one of the masters of, one of the only living masters, I think, still of, of, of Jeet Kune Do, Eskrima, um, which is something that I just, I'm fascinated with. I love it. I love Jeet Kune Do. I love Eskrim. I love all that sort of stuff. Um, and, dude, this is crazy. Like, she's such an accomplished person. And then she shows up in Star Wars as a character who then gets a fascinating background. Um, and I know just a quick shout out to um, to Pascal Fintoni and Chris Ducker, two listeners that we've got who are massive Ahsoka fans, but also massive Bruce Lee and martial arts fans like this is just gold dust to you guys, Pierre, and to uh, and to Chris. So I'm sure we'll talk about that one. But dude, this is fantastic! What an interesting character played by such a fascinating person. Yeah, yeah, it was. Um, now this is yeah. I recognize. I didn't recognize Carl Reese, but I recognized her. <laughs> this is crazy because she's not really. I think she's more known for her stunt work stuff. She's like the stunt advisor on like loads of TV shows and various movies and stuff she's done so many things but she's not necessarily been in front of the camera herself i know she's had a crack at directing herself and she's done her own sort of indie projects and stuff like that so i recognize her from a couple of those things because back in the day i was really into martial arts and everything and i knew i didn't know of her her name (laughs) against cry um yeah so i i did jeet kundo like years ago Years ago. Um, so I knew of her dad, obviously. I knew that name, but I didn't really know her name too much. But um, but I do, rec- I do recognize her because I've seen her in magazines. When I used to get 
bit geeky there. Used to get martial arts magazine stuff back in the day, so I, I, I knew of her. Um, but dude, the character herself, like, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know like where where she's come from. I don't know what her deal is. I, I, it, like, she doesn't seem to have the same gravitas as like Moff Gideon. Like, she doesn't have these big grand plans of something. It just feels like she's happy to have. Uh, taken over this small village and that's it she's just there she's happy with her little koi carp and a little japanese garden and stuff and that's it she just rules with an iron fist you don't know of any larger plans for for that her character's got so uh it's kind of an isolated deal but do we know anything around backstory for for this character do we know like why she's there what she's what she was she like empire before or was she i don't think so well, this is the interesting thing, so, and we'll get to this, I guess, a little bit more later, because we're going to dig into a lot of canon stuff and some questions that come up off the back of it. But the way that it's implied is that she was... Uh, what I'm fascinated in here is that um, they're leaning into a lot of the stuff that, like, Jedi Fallen Order and a few other things over the more recent years have been brought back into canon. So, like, the shipyards, the... Um, where did the Imperial fleet come from? Canto Bight, these guys are financing it. So there's there's a lot of this underpinning work going on at the minute. And Morgan Elspeth seems to fit into that. You know, she was, ma- a, 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 a planet was massacred, blah, 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 blah. Okay, we might find out about that in the future, whatever. But in particular, she seemed to build the Imperial Navy. Given the name drop later, that seems to be a huge, a huge thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, so we'll yeah. get to that. But it sounds like she was, you know, part of that. Um, and I'm assuming this. It doesn't look like they were Empire. So the reason I'm saying that is because she'd hired Kyle Reese. She got no stormtroopers, dude. And a boss, let's be honest, we all thought a boss when they were going on about it. We thought a boss was going to be Moff Gideon. Oh, I thought and so. I think everyone did, right from the second that Ahsoka said, you will tell me, right at the beginning. Um, and then it all changed. And I think there was no, there doesn't seem to be any reason to give this person a mild backstory like they did without the need to, for that to catalyze something else later, which I'm sure we'll get to. Um, but dude, I didn't know you were into JKD. This is awesome. Kieran and I used to do that until we didn't anymore. Oh, that's pretty sweet. We'll have to have a... Uh, after a little sparring session in the old office, uh, mm, yeah. you can fight with Kieran. He's much harder than me. Yeah, couple of a uh, couple of swift ones across the chops. Couple of round outs. I'll sort you out. Oh yeah, Kisha, make a brew, bang against karate. Mm, it's a shit. You'd have come through that wall if I'd have done. So <laughs> if it does kick off, just get out. Yeah, it's not worth it. Get out. It's not worth it. Not worth it, Tim. All right. Let's get to the bigger stuff, dude. So we've, I mean, there was a hell of a lot to unpack in this episode and that was a huge, huge part of it. We could wrap the episode there and still have done a fantastic podcast. But, holy crap, man. Ahsoka just acts as the glue for everything. Ahsoka starts to pull everything together. Um, First and foremost, like, how good was it to see what we wanted to see from Luke Skywalker? How good was it to see... Jedi being badass, the likes of which we've not seen, maybe except in a couple of scenes from the the sequel trilogy, that scene you mentioned earlier in Snoke's throne room, maybe one of them, but we've not seen the likes of this Jedi lightsaber badassery since, 
I'd say Revenge of the Sith, dude. Um, maybe Vader in Rogue One. Um, how cool is that to see just her being a full-on badass, fully trained Jedi? Yeah, dude. Yeah, sorry. Snoke's throwing room. Snoke's office, you mean. Um, sorry about that, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, d- dude, uh, I can't say, like, like you, because I knew you were thinking this as well when I was watching it. I was like, I bet Mark is like, this is badass. Like those words in my head were like, Mark's thinking this is badass. It felt, it's, it's felt like in the sequel trilogy that the, the Jedi are just a bit wet, I think is the best way to describe them. They seem to be very much, I don't know, like there's too much emotional stuff around whether they decide to, you know, throw down with their lightsabers. It's very much a, yeah, you can do that, but there's consequences and blah, blah, blah. In this, it was none of that. It was just, she has a mission. She wants to get to Morgan Elsbeth and she needs to find that information. That's as, that's as deep as we go. She doesn't have this kind of, you know, like with Ray and, and Kylo, although they had some big epic lightsaber fights visually, it was all kind of buckling under the pressure of these big kind of consequences of like about why they were doing it. Whereas in this, there was none of that. As deep as you go, she needs to get to this person. That's it. Job done. So, and how she does that, like you said, it's just that awesome, just a Jedi throwing down. There wasn't as much um, uh, force stuff as I expected. Uh, Sorry, as I thought there was going to be. Not that I thought we were going to get a lot of Ahsoka anyway, but once we did see her and she was like flinging the lightsabers around and all that stuff, it was very good. Um, yeah, dude, it's just a badass. But I thought they were going to be a little bit more like, right, I'm going to pick this tree up, throw it at that guy. I'm going to pick this rock up, throw it at that guy. So there wasn't much sort of force lobbing around, but in terms of just a Jedi, like how it was in the original trilogy, you know, like when Luke just goes into Jabba's throne room and then just from that, you know, and on the sail barge, he's just kicking ass like all over the place. It felt like that. It felt like old school, proper Jedi lightsaber stuff. Yeah, it did, man. And it, it, I think you, you're totally right with the Force stuff. I mean, we saw her pull the gun out and that was pretty much it and give the other guy a little little Obi-Wan Anakin-style <laughs> look. Um, and I think what was good about this as well was it was, like we said earlier on, it was very Batman stalking people, very strategized, very well put together. Um, but I think you nailed it with saying, you know, Luke just lit up when it was like, that's the problem. These are your options. If you don't do the easy option then we're doing it my way. And it was, <clears throat> that was Ahsoka, and that's just screams of, like, Filoni just saying, this this is a person trained by Anakin. That is the way she does it. And the same with Luke, like, you know, the genetics. You've got to start to think that when they were developing Anakin's character, that they kind of give him that hot-headedness so that it, you know, this is probably, it's probably a little bit too deep, but, you know, that thought process of, well, this is how we handle stuff. Because, look, Luke did go and kill Jabba, or Leia killed Jabba, and Luke went and ripped it all up. Um, and the fact that, you know, you, you that, that she did that was very much, it was very Anakin. It was like, like I said, this is the, these are the options. This is your way, and this is my way. If it's my way, it's game over. That is it. And... I will not stop. I won't relent. That is it. Game over. Um, so I thought that was really interesting, the characterization. I think Rosario Dawson really played it quite well. Um, you know, it was great to see. I think they nailed the look of Ahsoka very, very well. Um, 
everything from the cloak, you know, that's that's pulled straight from Rebels. You know, we've seen that in Rebels. Um, so very, very good stuff. Um, so, dude, let's get to the bigger story, the bigger picture stuff. You know, we, we, I don't want to spend too much time necessarily on the whole, um, you know, Mando had to go do this thing and find this thing. You know, that's kind of a just a formula now. We know that's the case. But they seem to be getting it out of the way early in the episodes, which, which we can be grateful for. Because um, the big thing, of course... Um, outside of the thousand Easter eggs, is the kid. Dude, the kid. did not expect that amount of stuff. Just the amount. So very quick recap. Turns out this kid's got a name. Grogu. <laughs> which, I'm not going to say anything right, but when Ahsoka then goes on to say that he lived at the Jedi Temple on Coruscant, he had many masters... All I'm thinking is Yoda and Yaddle. Know what I'm saying? Come on. A little bit of Barry White on the stereo, some candles on. It's <laughs> on all the good. bed you get. <laughs> <laughs> do or do not. There is no try. Come on, Yaddle. Let's do this. Come on. Well, that's I not strictly it. true, is it, mate? You know, we have tried a lot. So maybe this time's a winner. Come on. But dude, fascinating <laughs> stuff. So I mean, the amount of stuff that, that came out of that. So number one, the language. You know, the kid is far older, far more sentient, far more um, developed than we thought. This is a kid in outward appearance, outward appearance only, you would assume at this point. You know, very cognizant thoughts. Um, can't speak basic, but can, you know, can, can, can get the thoughts across... Uh, via telepathy to, to, to the force wielders, which is fascinating. So Grogu, um, trained by many masters at the Jedi Temple, um, and very specifically, very specifically, was hidden at around Order 66. Someone actually took the kid and hid the kid, at which point, to survive, he had to hide his force powers. Dude, I did not expect all of this stuff. I didn't expect all of this stuff. And whether it's just a way to progress the story or whether it's going to lead to more later, who knows? But do what, tell me, what did you make of this? Because I was shocked by the sheer amount that we got. Yeah, same did. I thought um, it, it, it came up like out of the blue, didn't it? Like you were saying, I, I honestly thought that the whole build up to what this child actually is and where he's from and everything, I honestly thought that was going to be a season two cliffhanger right at the end. So to have all that stuff was like, holy frick. So there are two points for me that are really, really big, big stuff, which I think, well, I'm hoping we're going to get to at some point. So the name, obviously, that was a bit of a, you know, sounds like a Dragon Ball Z character. Uh, so the name thing, you know, all that stuff, that was very cool. So we're giving the child a little bit more of an identity now. It's not just a sort of gurgling little baby that we thought um along with the along with the acceptance now i think that the the the, the mando just accepts that yeah as much as i wanted to hand this kid over i kind of really don't there's like a little scene where he's sat there in the ship and you know doesn't immediately take take him over to ahsoka he just sat there sort of like okay so and she actually says that like, you're you're like a father to her now so you have all that stuff but then the two big things for me is like you just said somebody took him from the temple when he was in um uh, order the whole order 66 thing um somebody a jedi or maybe not a jedi we're not sure um 
took him purposely from the temple and hid him and has, you know, come to an agreement that like, yeah, you need to hide your powers to survive. So that's the first big, massive thing. Who was the person that took him from the temple to hide him? And then the second thing, um, which is not kind of directly related to that little bit there, but at the very end of the episode where she tells him to go to that place and do the thing, that's huge as well because not only are we going to get Ahsoka who doesn't identify with a Jedi, we might get another Jedi, which is crazy. So if you think about season two, it's gone from fairly basic storylines to begin with to like all of the Mandalore lore stuff Bo-Katan, all of that jazz, to seeing Ahsoka, to getting like the whole Order 66 thing, to now like more Jedi turning up. Dude, it's just gone, it's gone freaking haywire. <laughs> yeah, it really has, man. Um, what what I think is fascinating about that um, is just like you said, number one, the sheer amount of stuff that has just gone haywire, but the way that they've kind of dropped a few pieces in. Because um, there's a couple of bits that I want to dig into on that one. We saw a lot of references, you know, from the Easter egg, you know, the force is what gives him his powers. It's an energy force created by all living things. Like, cute little thing to bring Obi-Wan's quote back in there from Ahsoka, you know, and to really paraphrase Obi-Wan's original quote. Like, we've seen that. We've seen the Anakin reference, you know, I've seen this happen to the best of us, which was touching and really, really well done. Um, But when you throw into the mix here then, that this kid is from the Jedi Temple, he had to hide his powers just like Yoda had to, just like Obi-Wan had to, just like Luke and Leia had to do from birth. There's a lot more at play here. And when she starts to say, Ahsoka starts to say, I can't train him because of the fear and the anger, and when you map it to the age of the kid, that's the same age as Anakin. And when you start to look at the way that the kid has used, used his powers, he's only used them a couple of times. Uh, in the first season to save someone, Mandalorian, and to heal someone. But in the second season, he's only ever used his powers to take what he wants. And dude, this is a fascinating slow game of chess that they're playing with this. Um, when you start to put all that together and then you start to hear all this stuff, like we, like you just said, you know, who took the kid, who hid him? Why did they leave him? What is going on? Um, so the <laughs> question that I want to get to with this one, um, because there were some really cute things going on in this, you know, there was the whole, you know, the parenting aspects, which was really seen being lent into on this season. You know, when Ahsoka said he, he might listen to you, but like, and, and Mando's like, well, that, that'd be a first. He's stubborn. <laughs> and you're like, oh, kids. Um, a couple of things that I want to dig into because they've kind of juxtaposed, juxtaposition records, they've juxtaposed those <laughs> feelings of parenting and that reliance on the Mandalorian with now what seem to be these suppressed powers. Um, and like, how much does he know? How much was he trained? How young did they get him? Um, what can he do? What's the true strength of his powers? And in particular, the big question, I think, is why was no one else hidden? Or maybe there were, Cal Ketz's style. Um, or is this being so powerful, and I'll get onto the why on this, that they chose him to hide just like they chose Luke, Leia, Yoda? Yeah, yeah. Yep. Is he the person? And the last thing, just before I let you run wild on that theory, is 
The force is what gives him his powers. It's an energy field created by all living things on one hand. Said in this episode, to paraphrase Obi-Wan from A New Hope, the last episode, the M count. Yeah, so yeah. science yeah. and religion and the physicality and the blood count stuff is now all starting to come together into this. It's not the either or that we hated from the prequels. It's now the midichlorians are the vehicle for this thing. And the more you have, the more receptive you are to being able to tap into this thing. Um, what is going on with this kid, man? <laughs> How powerful is he? How big is he? Is he that important or was it just they saw the first Padawan or initiate they could find and picked it up and saved it? What do you think is going on, man? Yeah, this is a massive question, dude, because, and it might be that they don't even explore that. It might be that they don't dive back into his backstory in that much detail where they're like, right, okay, he was taken from the temple because of X, Y, and Z. The only conclusion that we can come to at the moment is because we've only seen yoda so far as this species but we associate yoda with being like one of or the most powerful jedi so that then our knowledge of that just naturally filters down to this kid because he's the same species so we can only assume rightly or wrongly at the moment that they hit him because he has the potential to be as powerful as yoda because it might just be that that particular species it's just very force sensitive. Like they just have an affinity for the force that you don't have with other species. So that, I think that's the most plausible thing at the moment. So I'm wondering, yeah, if they're going to dive into much of that backstory and stuff, but dude, it just blew everything wide open because, and it was, it was beautiful to hear Ahsoka describe the force that way to mirror how Obi-Wan put it to Luke you know, it was just, oh, yes, this is like Filoni just sat there with, I imagine when he wrote this script, like a massive grin on his face, like this is what Star Wars needs. It absolutely needs, like you were saying, the whole midichlorian thing, we're going to use that storyline because like it or not, or not, that's a part of the canon. That's part of the thing. However, I'm also going to do a bit of Lucas here. I'm going to do a little bit of George lucas Um uh, mystical force, kyber crystal, all that stuff with Ahsoka's lightsabers and all that. Oh man, it was just, oh, just freaking sweet. Just having Filoni just do that Lucas thing. So, but dude, yeah, like the door's wide open. Like they could go anywhere with this now. They could do backstory if they wanted to, or they could just leave it to our imagination and then just progress how we're going to see this other next Jedi and how they're going to commune with, with Grogu and do all that stuff. But it's exciting times. Sure. It really is, man. And what I loved as well was, again, juxtaposition, just position records, was the um, the position of the Mandalorian's mindset on, okay, this kid, you've, you've detected fear, you've detected anger, and potentially hate if that develops any further. All the more reason to train him, which was very Qui-Gon Jinn. It was very, don't give up on this kid. Like, you can help with him. And... It was fascinating because of what Ahsoka's been through with the Jedi Order and the way she was ostracized and the way she was accused and only Anakin and really kind of potentially Yoda stood by her, um, which then led to her thankfully surviving Order 66 and so much other stuff going on. It, it's interesting that Ahsoka took that approach, you know, because you would think in Ahsoka's characterization that she would say, I can prevent this. I can stop this. 
could I have saved Anakin? Could I stopped Anakin? And I think that's maybe one potential, and I'm saying this as a very tentative, not even a negative, just a tentative question, because we don't know how much other Ahsoka we are going to see. Like, why is she like that? Because it doesn't feel Ahsoka. It feels very much like, you know, when she faced Vader in Rebels, it was, oh crap, that is Anakin. You know, and it's, it's you know, it's back to what we've discussed about Obi-Wan. Like, how does he feel and how does Ahsoka feel about Anakin falling? To me, Ahsoka's characterization would be much more around, I need to stop this happening again, not to walk away from it. Um, and I think that was mainly, if we were to look at it from a characterization and a canonical perspective, that can be explained away. We can We can deal with that in some other story. But I think that was just really to focus on progressing the story of the Mandalorian. Um, because one of the big questions and the worries that I had, and one of the questions that I wanted to put to you is, does this show still risk becoming too big? Is it starting to take away from the Mandalorian? But then it feels like every episode, they give us enough and then pull it back to Mando. It's like they're cognizant and aware of that. Um, and I know we'll get to that in some of the next stuff we're going to talk about, but just what's your what's your initial feeling on that, dude? Like, what's your gut feeling? Like, is this show becoming too big? Or are they managing it well? Or, you know... It, how are you feeling with that? Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't think it's becoming too big just yet. Purely because they haven't dropped in names like Luke Skywalker, Yoda, those sorts of people. I think when they start name dropping big, well, from they did drop Yoda in. From, you know what I mean? It's not <laughs> what I, what I mean is coming Ahsoka, at it from a different angle. Okay. Come, <laughs> uh, what I mean is Ahsoka didn't fanboy about Yoda, if you know what I mean. She didn't drop his name. She didn't go on and on like, oh, fabulous Yoda, you know, you should come and meet him. He's brilliant. It wasn't like that. It was like, I know of one other being and they left it there. For anyone that's not seen any Star Wars film before, you know, a weird person that's not seen Star Wars before, you know, they wouldn't sit there and think, well, who is this person? I'm unsatisfied that you haven't told me, you know, the name or the detail. So um, I don't think it's it's become too big from that perspective. But I do think that they do need to manage and just not let those larger storylines sort of run away from them a bit. Because when you boil everything down, we have to remember that this show is about the Mandalorian. So not really concerned that it's becoming too big from a Star Wars canon perspective or anything like that but i do hope that this that like the characters like ahsoka and the development of of groku and whoever this other jedi is and the you know all these other things and this other name that we're going to come on to now i'm sure um don't pull away from the core thing which is about din and the mandalorian so ultimately the show is about him so i think yeah just need to keep it on track and make it about him mainly yeah i agree man and let's get on to that big old elephant in the room that big blue elephant in the room oh so it turns out the magistrate morgan elspeth her boss is not moff gideon he's actually bloody grand admiral throne it was the first time since the initial episode when we saw baby Yoda that i dropped at least six f-bombs in a row <laughs> I was like, what, what are you doing here? <laughs> Not because he's blue, because they're glad to see him. 
Unbelievable. Dude, that blew my mind. And this leads me to believe that this was as much of a backdoor pilot for an Ahsoka show or for something else as much as it was for The Mandalorian. Um, and it just, it raises a bazillion questions. Um, what is Thrawn up to? Why is he fraternizing with an Imperial shipbuilder? Is he linked to the First Order? Is he building his own fleet? Is he still knocking around with Ezra? Where is Ezra? And then we'll get on to the next bit in a second about the Jedi Temple. But dude, what? Yeah, man, it's, uh, that was one of the big, like you, I was like, frick, frick, frick. It's like all of those times where when you're reading a book about Thrawn or you're watching Rebels or whatever it is, and then you immediately think, oh, it would be so cool to have Thrawn in live action somehow. But you think it, it will probably never happen because he's, that character is, is so rooted in expanded universe stuff. You just think, oh, would they ever... He's such a huge character in terms of the whole Empire thing and relationship to the Emperor and Vader and stuff, but it, he's just associated so much with the EU. He could never sidestep into like the canon stuff. And then when she dropped it, it was like, right, okay, where the frick do they... Like you just said, what's what's the deal? Like, do they keep it as... Is, is he still lost with Ezra? You know, is that Ahsoka's mission? She's like, she's still, because she promised, um, uh, was it, um, her jeweler that she would find Ezra. She, she promised her that she would, and then she took Sabine, right? So she promised that she would go and find Ezra. So are they leading on from that story plot? So as a way of finding Ezra, does she need to find Thorn first? Or does she just assume that, um, Elsbeth doesn't know anything about Ezra anyway, so she's just trying to get to Thrawn, you know, to find Ezra. And the other thing that makes me think that that's the case is when Ahsoka was walking through the village to approach um, uh, the magistrate, we saw a little loath cat uh, in the in the background, uh, which is obviously a big connection to Ezra and stuff. So I reckon she's still on the path to find Ezra, but she she has to go. To, because she assumes that Thrawn and Ezra are still together wherever they are. Mm. So she has to go and find Thrawn first. But frick, man, it was like, where do they go with this? Like all these questions, like, where do they go? <laughs> Dude, it's insane. And some of the little Easter eggs as well, which we'll quickly run through, um, you know, things like the Mirai, um, of course, from the, the, the Mortis arc of Clone Wars, um, through to Rebels, through to the end of season seven of Clone Wars, when Vader saw the, the, the circle in Mariah, which were very representative of the daughter, who, you know, the essence is, is in Ahsoka. Um, like, there's so much Easter eggs in there. You know, the Loth Cat that you mentioned, which is very, very closely tied to the living part of Ezra, uh, when it when it comes to the force, the, the living force, and um, you know this with Thrawn is fascinating because Thrawn, being the master strategist and doing what he does, and the way that he's outside of the Empire as such, you know the way the reason that 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 he's got why has he got a shipbuilder working for him? You know what's going on? Is it and it's back to this Gideon question: Is he part of the First Order? Is he building his own cell? Is Thrawn doing the same? Is Thrawn part of the plan because he was so close to the Emperor? Did he know about that? Um, it's there's so many questions that come off the back of that um and loads loads just, and loads just a heck of a lot going on so let's get to it now i want to i'm, I'm going to kind of very briefly mention tython just because that's an extended universe an old expanded universe um 
Jedi Temple from like Knights of the Old Republic. But in canon now, it is still part of canon as well. It was reintroduced in Doctor Aphra 40, if anyone's been reading that one. It's a Doctor Aphra's a great character. It's like a she's like an anti Han Solo. She's like the, the flip side of Indiana Jones. Um and she actually takes Vader to Tython. Um and it's it's speculated that this is one of the the, the one of the one of the um what's the, contestants, what's the word? Candidates, candidates. That's the word I'm thinking of. One of the candidates for the location of the first Jedi Temple, along with Onus, uh, Tython, Coruscant, Jeddah, and of course, Acto. So we've seen three of those in live action. And now Tython, we're going to see this one as well. Um, so dude, there's a lot to unpack with Tython, albeit probably for a next episode. Um, but the, the reason I bring that up is, we'll get to we'll get to the bigger question in a second, but the, the, the kind of, the more logistical question is, like, they're bringing a lot of expanded universe stuff back in. Tython's one of them. You know, it's, it Thrones another. You know, we've seen a lot of this stuff. Maybe the Dark Troopers. Um, is it still feeling a bit cat and mousey to you? Like, okay, here's this episode finished. At the end of the episode, go and now go to this other place and do this other thing. Um, that, to me, that's just starting to wear a bit thin. Um, five episodes in. But it is leading to some decent storylines. So, I, you know, I'm kind of I'm tolerating it right now. It's not a big deal to worry about but how do you feel about that is it feeling cat and mousey are you all right with that no it certainly is yeah and it feels like it feels like somebody is playing the mandalorian in a video game like a big rpg thing it feels like um it feels like right you've done this quest here's your xp points but now you need to go and do this other quest this other mission thing so off you go it feels very much like that it doesn't bother me too much at the moment because the like so far, mostly the episodes have been like brilliant anyway, and entertaining for the most part. So it's not really too much of an issue, but I feel like as we get towards the the latter part of the season, I do feel like if they carry on with that, we're not going to have enough time to have a big epic showdown. It might be the case they still do that and just do the final two parts as like a big two-part finale thing with Gideon and whoever else. But yeah, it doesn't bother me too much, mate, like you. But I think if we have it for another couple of episodes, it might be a little bit... Okay, you've literally stuck to this formula throughout the entire season. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting problem, in it? And it, I think you're right. I think we're going to see a bit of a two-parter, um, kind of like we did last year, really. Um, and I think we're going to need a cliffhanger because there's some questions. Before we get to the other remaining elephant in the room... There's a couple of questions that just come off the back of this. I'm just going to kind of quick fire through. Um, will we ever see in another show, The Throne, The Ahsoka? Is this, will we ever find out what Ahsoka was up to in the original trilogy? Is Rex going to make an appearance? Um, does does Ahsoka know about Luke and Leia? You know, what's the deal there? Because she must have heard the bloody rumours. They've took down two Death Stars, you know? Um, so she must have heard <laughs> the rumours. Um and now we're going to see a Thrawn cliffhanger. You know, is, is Thrawn the cliffhanger? He's the, is he pulling the strings of Gideon? Or is he something separate? You know, they left us with the Darksaber last year. They can't leave us with nothing this year. Is that going to be Thrawn making the appearance with something bigger um, going on? <clears throat> so a lot of questions that we need to understand a little bit more. Um, but let's just wrap up on the biggest remaining elephant in the room, which is take the kid to Tython, find the old Jedi temple that's strong in the force, stick him on the scene stone at the top of the mountain, always the top of the mountain, 
let him choose his own path, which is fascinating. And if he reaches out with the Force, which he of course will do, maybe another Jedi will reach out. And she interestingly says there aren't many Jedi left, so she implies that she knows there are several, which is interesting. You know, back to that Luke question. So, what are we saying, dude? Luke, Leia, Ahsoka herself, Cal Ketsis, Ezra Miller, uh, Ezra Miller, Ezra Bridger, or someone else? Hmm. Yeah, I'm going to say somebody else. I agree, dude. Yeah, yeah. I think they're saving those characters. Well, it, it certainly won't be Luke. Let's roll Luke out. Mm-hmm. The, the, the character around Luke in the films has just been like we cannot open another can of worms for Luke Skywalker Leia. No. Mm-hmm. Um, Cal Kestis maybe, but he doesn't, he, he say like his character is in the same boat as Ahsoka. He just wants mm-hmm. to keep his nut down, survive without being, you know, identified as a Jedi. So I don't think he wants to stick his neck out. So that really leaves Ahsoka who we've already seen. And as like, she's like, nah, not for me. Thanks. So that has to leave somebody else. So, and again, this mirrors a new hope when when Luke is questioning Obi-Wan about the Jedi and he says, you know, the Jedi are all but extinct. So he doesn't actually say there are none left. He's like, they're all but extinct. There's still this kind of tiny little chance that there's like other Jedi knocking around who survived Order 66 or whatever. Um, so yeah, it's, I think it's going to be someone else, mate. I think we're going to get a fresh, I think they're going to save people like Ezra and potentially Cal for like another show or another season. But yeah, man, new character, I think. I agree. I agree, dude. I've got a feeling it'd be someone that we've seen before, but only in a very small way. I know it won't be this person because of, you know, we've seen the death in Revenge of the Sith, but people like Plo Koon, where you'll see... You'll, you know, it's, it's, it's just enough of a person that you can be like, oh, that's kind of a, okay, yeah, that's that's the deal. Um, Here's because one. Th- Here's one. Yeah. Windu survived. Windu did survive. Is that, guess who's back, mother? <laughs> <laughs> Could be Windu. Handless. Could be Windu. Yeah. He flew out of the window, saved himself. Um, I mean, Star Wars does go a long way to try and prove that people can survive big falls, let's be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> but... I mean, it's interesting because I think the risk, you know, back to that question of is the Mandalorian becoming potentially too big, there is a risk that introducing too many new characters, because we have to remember, for us it's fine because they've not introduced any new characters. But to everyone like my mum, they're like, okay, Marshall, Bo-Katan, these other Mandos, you've got Ahsoka, you've got the Magistrate, who the hell's this Thrawn guy, why is Kyle Reese there? You've kind of got... <laughs> also... Oh, my mum will be like, that's Kyle Reese. Also, we got that... Um the very brief cameo uh, at the end of episode two, where is that Boba Fett? Is he coming back or is that Rex? You know, who's that guy as well? He's, he needs to come back at some point as well. And there's only three or four episodes left. And that, so that then leads me on to the final thing before we get to the, the uh, you know, the rating, if you like. Are we going to see more Ahsoka? Part one of the question. I'm going to give you a three-part question. Part one, are we going to see more Ahsoka in The Mandalorian? Part two, Will we see Rex? Part three, are they getting their own show, one or the other? I'm going to say yes, maybe, maybe. All righty then. You heard it here first, team. Sure. Gary Ellis has spoken. Sure. I would elaborate, but yeah, well, that's another podcast in itself. 
<laughs> it is indeed, my man. That's something that we'll probably get into after the season's wrapped as well, because we'll have a lot more information. And I think, like we said, I do think we are maybe going to see some announcements on the movie front and probably the TV front. They can't keep Star Wars only property being the Mandalorian into next year on Disney+, Plus. otherwise people are going to lose interest in paying for it. That's the view on that. Um, so, dude, overall, um, in my view, one of the most complete Star Wars creations that has ever been put onto the big screen, small screen, onto any screen. Um, straight from the mind of the Clone Wars and Rebels, straight from the same cloth as all of that stuff, and in my view, ties together the OT, the prequels, ties together everything that we've ever seen on screen in Star Wars that remains canon in such a way that just pleases us and gives us a hell of a lot of scope to move forward. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give this a little rating. I'm actually going to go an 8.5 out of 10 on this one, dude. Where are you at on this? Yeah, I was hovering around a 9 or an 8.5. So I'm going to go an 8.5 because I think there's better. I still think there's better Mandalorian to come. So, yeah. I agree. And it would be easy to 10 out of 10 this on the basis of the law and the Ahsoka appearance. Um, but as the complete package, I think an 8.5 out of 10 so we're excited for next week the mandalorian is back next week with chapter 14 tune in next week for a bit of a deep dive on that as well and thanks for bearing with us on this extended episode of spark of rebellion if you do want to discuss this hit us up on the old twitter at rebellion underscore spark hit us up on the instagram if that's your medium of choice and as always you can become a part of the spark rebellion crew over at patreon.com forward slash spark of rebellion thank you to listening big shout out to the patrons and a huge shout out to pierre and chris ducker who i know will be listening and will be watching the mandalorian in glee for so many different reasons this week thanks for being constant supporters and fans and enjoy your week enjoy yourself we'll be back next week guys thank you my man always a pleasure thank you very much indeed yeah i've loved talking through this episode the most lucasy feeling episode we've had so far which has been awesome can't wait for next week so as mark said yeah take care of yourselves guys make sure you're staying uh, healthy and safe Uh, we'll see you next time and may the force be with you always